Most of us have clothes that we've loved for years, maybe even decades, but it's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. If you're looking for more pieces designed to last, you can't go wrong with American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for years to come. All American Giant clothing is created with a commitment to doing things better. From the materials they use down to the last stitch in every piece. And everything is made right here in America, in partnership with people and communities. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll appreciate as soon as you receive your order. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your first order when you use code LT23 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code LT23. Secrets out the boys, are they? Yeah, I moved to that a couple of years ago. Joe Root went from GM to New Balance. He will use short blade, long handle. I saw a couple of his bats, trialled them, liked them, went from there. It wasn't a real big thing for me. It just felt comfortable in my hand. And they've got probably shorter and shorter as the things gone on. Like my, my T20 bat and my one-day bat is short, but um, that just feels comfortable for me. I don't know why. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. That was Matthew Wade speaking about using Joe Root's bat now. So uh, the English captain could have unwittingly helped Australia retain the ashes. So joining me on this podcast, I have our uh, resident POM, Steve Wilson, digital cricket editor for News Corp. Steve, welcome. How are you? I'm very well, Manners. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. So uh, I think I've had this coming for about a year and a half. <laughs> England are world champions. I've rubbed your nose in many an English defeat. Ready to return the favour? Uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the, the higher ground on this one and just say it was uh, cricket was the winner, wasn't it, in that final, in that incredible, <laughs> that incredible final. Uh, almost impossible to split the teams, but they, they found a way which uh, fell in England's favour, which, uh, yeah, you've got to feel desperately sorry for the Kiwis. But over the course of the last three or four years, I don't think anyone can deny that England have been the best team in the, in the one-day format, and so it was probably right that it, it went there. But uh, yeah, what an incredible end to the competition. What an incredible final indeed. You're so polite, Steve. See, you know, I'd have been just taking a bit of a victory lap. I mean, you must be proud that finally you can say, as an English supporter, you are world champions. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's been uh, celebrated and toasted for the uh, the last week or 10 days or so, however long it's been. But uh, yeah, the world keeps turning and the ashes are coming up now and the, the focus shifts pretty sharply to that, so... Uh, hopefully we can make it a double. Um, but if not, then yeah, just looking forward to five fantastic tests. <laughs> Very diplomatic. So the other panellist is the prophet, as I'm calling him, Ben Horn. Ben, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, thanks, Manus. So before the World Cup, when we assessed the squad, you were you were very prudent in your observations about where Australia's World Cup squad might fall down, and it was with you know middle order and all rounder strength. And I think in the end, at the end of the campaign, that weakness finally caught up with the team. What do you think? Yeah, well, of course I'm going to say yes. Agree with myself, but. Um yeah, look, there. I think Australia got most things right, but probably got a couple of things wrong. And as you say, in the end, it did catch up with them. I mean, it's sort of, I think they were blindsided a little bit in that 
that game against South Africa, you know, they probably didn't put an absolute premium on that game. In the end, it turned out to be like a semi-final, didn't it? I mean, losing that game, I guess New Zealand showed that they were going to be hard to beat. But if Australia ends up on New Zealand's side of the draw, um, I think it's fair to say it could have been a completely different story. The injuries didn't help. Having Kawaja and Sean Marsh injured in within a couple of days was a huge, huge blow. Um, also, it's like really going with Stoinis with no backup, I think didn't help them in the end. I mean, his form wasn't great. Mm. He was injured and they, they just didn't have anyone to bring in. And you were talking about the fact that Mitch Marsh wasn't in the squad originally. They probably could have done with someone like him. Mm, yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it was a question of who do you leave out because um, Australia was in such great form prior to the picking of the team that you couldn't really argue with uh, anyone they picked. But yeah, as I said at the time, I think they were... Uh, weak in the all-rounder position. It put a lot of pressure on Stoinis, both uh, with his body and his form, and unfortunately neither held up. So that was a huge problem, and um, I, I think they did miss Josh Hazelwood at the end too. I know Jason Berendorf had a great match at Lords, and, um, you know, good selection. But, uh, you know, the, the, the part where I thought they were always going to miss Hazelwood was when it got to the crunchy end. And, um, yeah, I think Hazelwood in that game against South Africa... Could have made a could have made a difference. We'll never know, but um, yeah, there's a couple of areas where I think they they possibly erred. But in the end, from where they were six months ago, tremendous turnaround and um, making the semi-finals was I think a good effort. Yeah, definitely a pass mark. So, listeners, on this episode of Cricket Unfiltered, we are going to preview the 2019 Ashes. We're also going to look at the big. Big Bash news from last week. Yes, the Big Big Bash news. They announced the fixtures for next summer and we'll also uh, wrap up the women's ashes and the uh, Australian women are giving the Poms a bit of a lesson over there at the moment. So uh, maybe a sign of things to come, Steve, in the men's ashes? <laughs> who, who knows, Manus? Yeah, only, only time will tell, as they say. So diplomatic. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, let's get straight on to the front foot. The Ashes squad was announced last Friday night, Sydney time. I guess, uh, Benny, I'm going to start with you. You've been on tour a lot. Can you imagine the sort of vibe that was around the Australian team hotel the morning they were all pulled in one by one to to learn their fate? I mean, it must have been such a strange atmosphere, a unique situation. Absolutely. Um, I mean, normally they're probably in their own homes when they get the call, whether they're in or out. It's always a tense time. But, yeah, to actually be all under the one roof and being called in one by one, it is, yeah. I can't think of that happening before, really. Um, Lawler yeah, said probably. that some people just disappeared up to their rooms. Yeah, yeah. It would have been quite difficult. Like I, um, Again, yeah, that's the people not picked. Yeah, probably the most tense time I can remember in a hotel was um, when uh, Mickey Arthur got sacked and replaced by Darren Lehman, and the Australia A players were around at the time, and um, a couple of those, Steve Smith and Ashton Agar, got caught into the squad, but. That was quite an unusual, very different, obviously, but that was quite an unusual atmosphere. But um, I think overall, the the A game, the, sorry, the intra squad game, probably proved a, a success. I mean, uh, I'm not sure all the batsmen would be saying that, but when you come out of the game with a 93 not out from Cameron Bancroft and I guess Marnus is 41, that's enough to sort of hang your hat on, and probably hasn't done the confidence everyone's confidence the world are good, but if you get a couple of guys that come out of that uh, walking a bit taller, it's probably gone well and it's 
you know, certainly illustrated Australia's bowling strength anyway. If uh, Langer and co are pulling some psychological strings, then one thing they have done with that practice game is Australia's not going to turn up to a test venue and see a worse wicket than that. So say they turn up to a wicket, Trent Bridge circa 2015, all those batsmen can say, well, a month ago I batted on a wicket that was worse. So I think that was one element. So let's get straight into the squad. The big exclusions. Joe Burns, Curtis Patterson, John Holland, Alex Carey, and I'm going to put Jackson Bird there as um, slightly unlucky. Steve, who do you think was the unluckiest to miss out? I mean, you're naturally drawn to uh, Joe Burns. Um, He's a player who seems to you know, do very little wrong and then be constantly sort of in and out of the squad. What is it, 16 test matches, four centuries, a century in the last outing. You would think that would, to a certain degree, make you bulletproof. I don't think he's done anything wrong uh, on the A tour when he's come back from having that uh, fatigue-related illness. He looked to be in, in, in good health, so that wasn't a concern. He's just been bunted out by the pressing cases of others around him rather than him failing, so I think he's the one who can consider himself most unlucky. The others, I mean, Holland's got a case to say, look, he he obviously would have been the backup spinner had they elected to take one, but they haven't. They're obviously thinking uh, Labuschagne and, and, you know, Smith, if necessary, can, can turn the arm over. Although I'm sure they've told Holland, you know, keep yourself ticking over just in case Nathan Lyon steps on a football and twists his ankle or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, but... Carey, Sharon, yeah. won't be a football. <laughs> Carey and Patterson, uh, yeah, you could say they're unlucky. Carey's making it made a case during the World Cup, but it's a different format. Patterson in his last test, you know, got a century, but those two are possibly, you know, they'll make their case again in the future. I don't think they can have too many grumbles at the people who've gone in ahead of them. So it's maybe only Joe Burns who can really uh, feel particularly hard done by. Yeah, I think Alex Carey's pretty hard done by, to be honest. I think, um, you know, not that he was obviously likely to play a test unless there was an injury. But I just think, um, you know, in terms of recognition of his World Cup and where he sits in the pecking order, you know, I think he was unlucky. And, you know, the way he did bat during the World Cup, I don't know. I mean, I know it's a different format, but I think, uh, you know, the way he strikes the ball and Scored things like that. Scored 70 overnight in his first uh, yeah, T20 game. And his temperament. Sussex. You know, I mean, yeah, he gets deep in the series. You know, you wouldn't rule out him getting a game as a batsman or something like that. So I think he was unlucky, but um, I guess, you know, when you when it boils down, he's unlikely to play with Tim Payne as the captain. And, um, you know, it's certainly the squad they've picked is flexible. They've gone for as many options in the areas they need, which is batting, because there's so much uncertainty about the batting lineup and how they'll perform in England. And bowling, because the matches are so close together, uh, they've given themselves enough choices there to keep the bowlers rotating around and pick attacks that suit the conditions. So overall, I like the squad, but no doubt there's a few unlucky names there. Like Joe, Joe Burns' record of 400s and an average of 40 in test cricket. If I reckon if you ask Marcus Harris now, like, would you take that, you know, after 16 test matches? How many has he played now? But six, Seven or eight. Seven, yeah. I mean, he would be absolutely all over that. So th- that's the thing. Joe Burns, I, I, you sort of understand... Uh, the fact that they always think that there's a, a better model coming along. But, you know, you can't fluke four test centuries. He's got a pretty decent record and, you know, he's he's desperately unlucky. 
Yeah, I think he's desperately unlucky. And so I had Chris Lynn on the podcast last week, and he made a, a good point about the sort of things that the selectors are doing. So in the World Cup, they bring in Pete Hanscom, and they use the justification, oh, he's a big part of the one-day side. He scored runs in India. We're going to bring him in ahead of someone like Matthew Wade, who was plundering county tack- attacks at the time of the World Cup. So they use that narrative to bring Hanscom in. But then when it comes to Joe Burns, they don't use the narrative he scored 180 in the last test. They change the story and say, oh, oh, you know, Smith, Warner and Bancroft are coming back and there's a squeeze on, so he's unlucky to miss out. But, but you can equally flip it and say he's just scored 180. Cameron Bancroft should just wait in line until down the track. So I think it is an absolute shocker. I think it sends the wrong messages to state cricketers. Uh, I've, I put a tweet out last Friday expressing some sort of displeasure about it. A lot of Queensland cricketers retweeted it. What sort of reward is that for state cricket? You work your butt off, you get picked in the side, you score 180 when Australia were three for 30, and then someone comes along, scores 90 in a trial game. So not only are you not in the 11, you're not in the squad, you're gone. I mean, if your career is being determined by these decisions, and Joe Burns has happened not just once, this is probably the second or third time you could say, why is he being dropped? I just think it's a, it's a massive error. I don't think you can do this to cricketers and expect them not to, to bite back. And eventually, you know, they're going to come out in the press and t- express their displeasure because I think this is a joke. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't go... Like, I think Joe Burns is unlucky, but I don't think... Cameron Bancroft is a poor selection, if you know what I mean. I mean, he uh, he was not allowed to play, uh, obviously, for nine months. But when he did come back, he made a, a, at least one pretty impressive century for Western Australia. He was starting to... I guess he was kind of 50-50 at the time when the sandpaper incident happened. But he certainly had shown a couple of signs that he, he had the goods. I mean, I'm sort of pitting it more as... Well, I think Burns has more lost his place to... Marcus Harris in yeah, some ways. That's what Owen said in the press yeah, conference. That's that's kind of how I would read it. I think Bancroft has sort of um, been seen in a different light. But I mean, that selection, it's not all about. Uh, I'm not saying that he's he hasn't been hard done by or he's not unlucky, but it's more than, you know, there's several factors involved. And, um, but that's why I think it just gets too complicated. But the selectors are complicating a situation. Someone scores 180 in the last test. I don't think it's ever been done before. They've been dropped again. But so the, but the, but so why the question mark with that though? Do you say well then just following that train of thought? Oh, they got a good score in the last test. Then you completely ignore the uh, um, the case for the others yeah. who are coming back in. I mean, you take it. I know it was a, six a, months ago that test. Yeah, and you're saying with sort of Harris or Bancroft being which one you know got ahead of Burns. If you if you think about Bancroft, as, imagine he was injured in South Africa and and the Sandpaper Gate thing didn't happen. His case then would be. Oh, he was just coming into the side. He hadn't pulled up trees, but he was starting to show a little bit of sort of, you know, worth to the team. And he, he was making himself a, a part of that squad. Then say he was injured for nine months and couldn't play. Then he came back, played in the Big Bash, did really well in the Sheffield Shield, and now is doing fantastically well in the conditions that the Ashes are going to be played in. How do you ignore that case for someone sort of coming back? It's not having had a really good score in your last test match six months, nine months ago, shouldn't insulate you from any competition from elsewhere. Again, 
with the caveat that, of course, Burns is desperately unlucky and wouldn't let Australia down if picked. So but what are test, test performances mean then? I mean, it's the highest level. Like, that is what test players are judged the, on. But it's not the be-all and end-all. Of course, it's the, the, the main thing. Of that's the, you know, was, You're playing test cricket. That's what you draw It was on. a pretty average uh, Sri Lankan side. And I'm not well, it was, well, we were three away. for 30. And, like, yeah, Kawaja fair, fair saved his career with a, a century in the second inning. So it, it works for Kawaja to save his career, but it doesn't work for Burns in the first innings. Yeah. No, I, I take your point. I mean, I sort of see Marcus Harris as the luckier cricketer, to be honest, because... I'd agree with that. He... No test centuries. No test centuries. And um, it, while everyone else was making runs against Sri Lanka, he went backwards, which I think was a, a concern. And, yeah, I've got concerns over him, obviously, against the new ball over there in, in England. So I think he's he's the luckier person out of, if you're pointing, boiling it down to he and Bancroft. But then if, if he gets dropped for Burns, then people turn around and say, well, look, he's the top run scorer in the Sheffield Shield. Mm. Why don't Sheffield Shield runs count for anything? Yeah. They were playing with the Dukes ball. You know, that's what they say. Go back and score runs in uh, in the Shield. And that's what he did. So how unlucky, yeah. how can you justify that? So they have to make a decision. It's a hard one. And I think it was a sort of width of a cigarette paper between the three of them to get two from that three. So it's not a slight on Burns. It's just, you know, that's what they... Well, I think yeah. it is a slight on Burns. Oh, I think that um, Bancroft is obviously under pressure now to perform given he doesn't have the runs behind him that Burns and Harris do. But to be honest, if you've presented me, which of those three would you pick to open alongside David Warner in England? I would pick Bancroft. So... I mean, it, it it is kind of a crazy science to picking teams. And, you know, for example, like I think the Matt Wade selection's very good and, you know, that's that's a, finally a recognition for someone who's who's made runs. So, yeah, look, it's it's a tough it's a tough caper. Well, if Matt Wade scores 180 in the first test, he'd better look out for the second test because uh guarantees nothing. All right, uh, ins, big inclusion. So Cameron Bancroft, is it too soon? I, I don't think so. I think it's it is a very curious case, and I think cricket Australia. I, I I don't think this would have informed their selection, but I think it's a very happy situation for them to sort of get the three back in now, and they're all in form in the, in their own sort of ways. And if we can have a series where you know they can perform, and it can almost you know in their minds and it'll never completely put it to bed but it puts a sort of another marker or a sort of full stop to or they will hope a full stop towards the 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 whole sandpaper thing the three of them will carry it with them for the rest of their career but it's another step away from that moment and so moving forward so I think they're quite pleased uh, about that I think Bancroft coming in he is from the outside looking in a, a slightly strange fish in how he's sort of gone through this process of sort of reconciling and sort of forgiving himself or the language that he uses. He's obviously had a lot of counselling, a lot of sort of spiritual retreats and whatever, and he's, he's sort of come to terms with it. I don't know if the words that he's said in interviews really cut it with a lot of fans, and I think there's still a little bit of sort of scepticism around him. Um, but in terms of having served your sentence for doing this crime, doing that, you know, for cheating, that's done and dusted. They got a long ban and and it's done. So I think he should have a clean slate. Whatever you think about him, whether you think he should have been back sooner or you, you think he should be, you know, tarred with it forever. At the point of picking him for teams, whether it's a, a Sheffield Shield team or a national team, they've served their time. And so why not pick him if he is in form? I don't think you should be. He shouldn't be excluded from the national setup because of the after effects of Sandpaper Gate anymore. 
Well, they've got Warner and Smith in the team, uh, and they're about to play an Ashes series in England. So I guess you might as well go all in on the uh, <laughs> on the villains. I don't think it's uh, it's going to get any any more brutal for them in terms of the reception they're going to get from the fans. I mean, it is an interesting selection simply because he wasn't the walk up start. You know, Warner and Smith were always coming back, coming yeah. back, or well, certainly for several months now it's been obvious that they that they would so yeah so that's where it's interesting in that it is a bit more of a judgment call because he doesn't have the record behind him that the other two do so it's a huge endorsement for him from the selectors but I do agree with Steve that it is also there is a you know I'm not saying this is why he's been picked but it, it does you know it's a happy accident that it does give them the chance to almost put a line through under this almost immediately like if if Cameron Bancroft has a good series um, it really does. Well, know, that'll define him. If, I mean, if he yeah. helps Australia win the Ashes for the first time in 18 years, mm. that'll be the latest headline, not being caught mm. with sandpaper in your pants. But, yeah, I mean, there's no, like, I think, you know, there's no question that Warner and Smith have handled the last 12, the, the band better and have spoken better, um, particularly Warner. Um, well, but, Bancroft's big regret, Bancroft and he is, said it was, mm. his big regret was giving up his spot. That's yeah. what he said in the press Which conference. Which was probably the worst possible thing he could yeah. have said, to be honest. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, but Bancroft is less experienced and, and he's younger than those two. So I guess you cut him cut him a bit for that. But, yeah, he probably does have a bit a bit further to work back. Yeah. Another recall, Mitchell Marsh is back in the squad and also Michael Nisa. So I'll start with you, Ben. Do you think Australia needs an all-round option this test series? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I don't think that they necessarily need to play in the first test match, but... It's a five-test series in England, and you know I've you know the, certainly out of the two Ashes tours I covered in England, the tests weren't this close together. This is a very condensed series, um, huge strain on the the bowlers. So at some point, uh, one of those two players will have to play a game, I'd imagine, or or, or at least have the option. Yeah, you have to have the option, and I think it's I think both deserve it. I mean, Mitchell Marsh is obviously more your um, batting all rounder. Uh, but Michael Nisa, I mean, most people are sort of just, you know, expecting him to just play in the tour matches. But, you know, later in the series, like, you couldn't rule out him playing. He's got an excellent record with Duke's ball. You know, he could bat at number seven if you needed him to. And um, he's a he's an interesting wild card to have up your sleeve. My one concern is with that, Steve, and we're seeing how difficult it is to bat in England at the moment, and especially the wickets we might get it. I, I just can't see Mitch Marsh and Nisa batting in the top six and doing a great job or a good enough job for Australia. I think Australia's going to need six heavy-duty batsmen. Yeah, I, th- I think they're both insurance cards in a way or, or, or certainly back up. I don't think they're front and centre. Um, having selected six, if you if you don't call Nisa an all-rounder, just as, as a bowler, they've got six pacemen. There's a clear distinction there between we have our, our, our pace battalion and then we have our batters and that that there's a clear indication from that squad that that they are thinking similar to you that we'll stock the back at batters and then um trust the the bowling attack that we have but like ben says it, it's all crunched in together there's going to be injuries there's going to be uh fatigue people maybe getting out of form i think having those two there as and particularly marsh as a as an option to you know, just offer some balance in the middle if necessary down the track. If you're, you know, one test down or uh, uh, someone's three nil up, <laughs> either or. I think he's there as a kind of insurance policy. I don't think he's plan A uh, to have Marsh in there, but having a, a batting all rounder is is always a useful thing in any squad in any situation. 
So let's look at the way the uh, Aussie team might line up in the first test. I agree with you, Ben. I think Bancroft and Warner will open the batting. Uh, it's seeming like Kawaja's fitness is going to be okay, so he'll bat at three, Smith at four, Head at five. And I guess number six is really open. You could have Wade, Marnus, or Mitch Marsh. Yeah, I reckon that's probably about right. So what is the latest on Kawaja? So the latest reports are that he is doing a fitness test Monday uh, to clear for the first test, but uh, Russell Gould was uh, wrote yeah. today. He was pretty certain that he's Kawaja will f- pull up. Kawaja's uh, confident, but he's just got to tick a box with the medical staff today mm-hmm. and do a couple of shuttle runs. And, and he said he's been fine. He's been doing a lot of batting because, you know, it's just he hasn't been able to run between the wickets, but he's got that power up now. So he was talking very, very bullishly about being uh, mm. being available. Yeah. I wouldn't be so sure in terms of the in terms of the opening partnership with. I know we've talked a lot about Bancroft. I still think Harris will get the nod, mainly going off the back of how the teams were split for the uh, trial match, the the intra squad match. I know, you know, you try and you know two and two equals five sometimes when you're trying to read into this. But I think if they had it in their mind that Bancroft was going to be opening with Warner. I think at that last opportunity, they might have put the two of them together in that match just to, um, you know, give them a bit of time, you know, with each other. And Warner's spoken, you know, quite favourably about Harris. He's a big fan of Harris and likes playing with Harris. So I, I wouldn't be so sure that Bancroft's going to go in there. I, I, I would expect to see Harris, but I definitely expect to see Wade um, down mm. there. I don't think there's any way he won't start that match. Yeah, I agree. I think Wade will play. Um, I guess Manus is his biggest threat. Yeah. He's got yeah. over a thousand runs for Glamorgan. Can bowl, you know, five to ten overs a day, even though Wade can, so Yeah, I mean I think we're probably overstating Wade's ability to bowl. I mean he... I am. I'm the only <laughs> one doing that. Yeah. He's I mean consistently. Sure. Like he, he's got an economy rate of zero, yeah. hasn't he, in test matches? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, he certainly you know, you could throw the ball to him for a few overs, but I don't think you can quite put like him the in the bowlers status. But yeah, uh look I think Bancroft will open with Warner and I think the um you know, the left-right-hand combinations an important factor, especially with Kawaja coming in at number three. So I think um, I, I, I would expect that to happen. And then, well, Just quickly, did you notice our colleague Robert Craddock had the scoops for the team from Brisbane? He was tweeting out the Ashes team before anyone else. Like, incredible. Like, he wasn't even on the ground and he was getting the scoops. He's been doing it for 30 years. He's very, very well connected. Yes. <laughs> of course he is, but amazing. So if you uh, don't already follow Crash's work, do it, because uh, yeah. unbelievable. I couldn't believe that. Yeah. Um, if It would be interesting if Kawaja doesn't come up, who they play at number three. Um, I guess it would come down to either Harris or Marnus at number three. But if you know if if they're confident Kawaja will come through, then I guess that, that puts that one to bed. But I think Matt Wade at number six gives Australia a very – interesting looking top six and you know if things click I think that that is their best that is their best lineup with him at number six and Matt Wade does have extensive test experience so that could be handy in the pressure gotta, cooker I mean, situation you know, forget like, test. yeah I mean I totally take your point man is about you know test form counting over recent form and things like that but you can't Matt Wade's form in any top type of cricket over the last six months has been so good and you just can't you can't ignore that it's, um, no, I agree, but I think, say, Curtis Patterson's case, they were more justified in picking Wade ahead, although Patterson scored a century yeah. in the last well, he's test. Struggled in the, he struggled since. Yeah. He's only played two tests. He doesn't have a great track record, mm. record at tests, whereas I think Joe Burns maybe deserved better. Yeah, so that's the Aussie lineup. 
the English side was announced over the weekend. I guess the big things to note are Joffre Archer's in the squad. Uh, there is a few niggles for the Pommy Bowlers. Are you worried, Steve? Because we've got Wood, Anderson and Archer all with slight niggles. Any concerns? Well, you're always going to be worried about any uh, injury reports about James Anderson ahead of a home Ashes series, but the, the reports have been uh, promising on that. I think Wood has is, is been scratched completely. He's just not going to uh, take any part in that. And, and Rival podcaster yeah. Jimmy Anderson. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Joffre Archer looked in, in rude health in those photographs from when he was in, <laughs> in Barbados, still wearing his England shorts from uh, from the World Cup. So no worries on that score. Um, yeah, it's, again, England are very similar to Australia and such. There's not really much of an issue with the bowlers, but it's the batting where the, mm. the, the, the real concerns are. I mean, particularly in that top order, that top three uh, is very, very Wade vulnerable. Wade could get them out. Yeah, <laughs> probably you you could probably get one of them out, uh, Manners. They they're not in any sort of form whatsoever. I mean, Rory Burns looks like he's going to be given the nod despite failing again against Ireland and and just having a wretched run of form both uh, in Tests and in uh, County cricket. What did Mark War say? He thought Burns looked like the night watchman when he was batting mm. with Leach mm. and Chapelli. Ian Chappell was scathing of he was, yeah. Rory Burns on the weekend. So well, he's, a lot I, of love. I, think he's, I don't think he's gone past fifty in his last. 14 or 16 first class matches. I mean, and that includes facing some some relatively weak opposition in, in county championships. So, but the, the simple fact of the matter is, England haven't got options to go to. I mean, it's like James Vince, uh, obviously, his problems are well known to an Australian uh, audience. And then some names were thrown about, like Zach Crawley or Dominic Sibley, who haven't been uh, around the test squad at all. So Isn't it's, Denley a better player at Denley's the top? Good, but the issue with Denley is because Joe Root is absolutely insistent that he doesn't want to bat at three, that he wants to bat at four, we need three players to go in there. So Denley will probably play at three. So you've got Burns and Roy. Burns. I mean, in this situation, surely Joe Root has yep. to just put his hand up. I mean, I, I just don't understand with, you know, you can't, you know, if he bats at four, sure... He's worried about going in there early, but he's still going to be going in there early, uh, buddy, at number four, yeah. and they'll be two down. Yeah, do, do you go in, yeah, one for 10 or two, two, for, ten. Two, two, two for 20 or whatever? Yeah. Um, yeah, so th- they may even do that. I mean, th- there's nothing that's come from Root to suggest he's going to change, but I think he should. I personally think that is. So yeah. can I just, let's just go through the English mm. batting order, what it could look like. So Rory Burns, yeah. Jason Roy. So Roy's doing an Aaron Finch. We see or him batting, po- or possibly a David Warner. That would be the, well, the big. Either way, but he has he doesn't have a great first class no, record, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's he's being picked on one day form. Yeah, and then Denley three, Root four, Bairstow five, Butler six, Stoke seven, Ali eight. Yeah, I would move Bairstow a bit further down just because he's keeping. They they tend to sort of when he when he's oh, keeping. So he'll swap with Butler. He'll swap with Butler. But yeah, I know he's keeping, but does Johnny Bairstow not have the credentials to bat? In the top three, I mean, they tried it in um, uh, in Sri Lanka, I think. Yeah, he does absolutely, but it, it's only that sort of worry about uh, you know having had. I mean, is that enough? Is the weak is the weaknesses in the order enough reason to give the gloves to Butler and say, Johnny, we need you to save our batting lineup? Basically, I mean, you could could you open with jo- with Johnny Bester? I mean, you you absolutely could. I mean, the the again how this works within the squad, I don't entirely know, but the 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 sort of Conventional wisdom is that uh, Berso is so desperate to be the keeper that when if they give the gloves to someone else, it, it doesn't do his mental approach mm. much good, and therefore it kind of under you know undercuts his batting form because he's 
you know, annoyed he's that he's not keeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, but that's how he plays. Yeah, yeah, or... but that's how he plays, and it's that sort of energy and that sort of nervous energy that makes him such a destructive player. But then it can you can tip it over too mm. far. Um, yeah, I mean, England do because need w- to find a solution to that top three. Because when you read out those names, I mean, and you get into Bearstow, Butler, Ali. You know, you start to go, oh, there are some players there, but they're all batting too low down. I mean, Mo and Ali, like, I mean, surely he could bat higher as well. We'll I mean, bounce him out. We'll bounce him well, out. Well, he's played pretty much every position yeah. apart from wicketkeeper in the in the squad. I mean, he's opened in the in the Middle East and was sort of mixed there. Uh, the only problem or the added problem with Ali is that he's in pretty wretched form yeah. as well himself with the bat, not so much with the ball. Yeah. His bowling's pretty consistent in, in you know, what it is. Um, but he's, his batting, not just in the World Cup, but in the lead up to it, he's not been the mowing Ali that England have come to rely on uh, for lower order runs for at least 12 months now. So... I don't think that would be an option for them if he was fit and firing, or if he was firing and you know and seeing the ball well. Maybe they would think about that, but I think mm. they'd, they'd they would be reluctant to push him up the mm. up the order the form he's in. Oh, it's going to be a really interesting series just because it's so bowling dominated, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, both sides are so reliant on their bowling that um, I still yeah, think Australia's I mean, batting is better. Yeah, maybe, but the conditions are in England's mm. favour and. Um, I'd be surprised if this is a one-sided series. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, what, what, what's going to happen? I mean, the 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 team that wins it is the one that's going to be able to handle most those times when it all goes completely wrong, when the collapse happens. Yeah. yeah. How do you respond to that? Or or conversely, which team when they do get, you know, ahead of steam up with their bowling power can then actually go on and finish the job? I mean, that those will be the moments where it's won and lost each match, and therefore the series as well. But I completely agree. It, it's got three two written all yeah. over it. But you know, which way? I um one thing we didn't cover, Menas, was uh, Australia's bowling. I don't know whether we'll still get to get there, but that's really interesting for me. I mean, Pete Lawler wrote today that they're going to rotate the bowlers around, and um you know it'll be very much a sort of horses for courses situation. But yeah, in terms of what attack Australia goes with for the first test, that's interesting because no one's touched Stark or Hazelwood for you know a long time. They've just been automatic selections. But you know what? I, I wouldn't be surprised if neither are playing in the first test. I reckon there's a huge chance that it'll be Pattinson, Siddle and Cummins. I'd be shocked if Mitchell starts. Stark plays in the first test. Mm. Um, yeah, Hazel would be would be an even bigger call, but uh, um, because he's you know they wrapped him up in cotton wool and left him out yeah. of the World Cup for to be ready for August first. So if he then doesn't actually take the field, then that's going to be a, a, a huge story. But I think Stark's um, he's got a bit of a niggle, hasn't he, with his knee? And you've got uh, Pattinson, who's just absolutely firing and raring to go. I, I think they would be they would be have to go with Stark. Well, there's a couple of elements. Tim Payne came out and said to the press, and he wouldn't have done this by accident, that Stark takes a little longer to switch between formats and adjust his length. So they can certainly play it like we're just saving Stark for the slope at Lords. We'll give him a, a bit more time to recover from the World Cup. He's had a slight knee niggle. I know it's nothing serious, but we know Stark can pick up these niggles at centre, sort of, um, you know, follow him around a little while. The other one is Pattinson. You know, his state coach has been pretty clear. He doesn't think he could play all five tests. No. So you're going to have to... Well, he definitely can't. I mean, and I just think, like, the logic with him has to be playing while he's fit and he's ready now. So just yeah. don't die wandering. Just get him out there for the first game. Blow him away. But I think that that's basically a given that he will play. I'm intri- intrigued by Siddle personally because he's got a great record bowling in England. 
people seem to be surprised at his selection, but I mean, I, I thought that that's been in the works for about 12 months. So I, I always expected Peter Siddle to be there. And their big regret from the last series in 2015 was not playing him till the fifth test. And four years have passed. He's an older bowler now, but um, so yeah, I'll be, be very interested to see. You know, and yeah, I mean, I haven't seen obviously any footage of the cricket that's been going on, going on over there. I don't know whether Hazelwood's back in his full swing or whether they he's still... He is, yeah. Yeah, so look, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that they should go Siddle, but I'm just saying I think it's a really it is a interesting call. Definitely, yeah. Especially if it's a cloudy, green, Edgbaston wicket. I think Siddle... Well, the wicket won't be cloudy. I think Siddle be. would have been watching the England-Ireland test and thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll have a bit of this, the way that England struggled against the, the sort of... Me- Tim Murtagh. Yeah, the, me- the medium sort of medium pace that because the English batsmen I mean I know they're, they're reverting or trying to turn their heads back into sort of test form now but the the strength players in that middle order that, that Ben mentions love to have the ball coming onto them and, and they like a bit of pace obviously not whizzing past their ears at uh, uh, 90 plus miles an hour but having Siddle there poses a different question to them and can frustrate them and get them you know enough dot ball pressure that then the England players get themselves out and that's an, a, as effective a, a technique as you know targeting the stumps or swinging it wildly yeah oh. and you look at 2015 I mean sure batting batting's always Australia's issue when when we when we lose there's no, there's no question about that but I think in 2015 the expectation was similar to this series that Australia's bowling is so good that that'll just take care of itself. But that didn't actually happen. They actually miss their mark in certain test matches. And so that's what they've got to worry about. And it's these guys like Siddle and Pattinson who over the last couple of years have just become, because they haven't been in the Australian side, they've become professional county bowlers bowling in English conditions. And if if Australia's looking at a different strategy, perhaps, perhaps that's it, backing in the guys who have actually bowled the most in those conditions. All right, gentlemen, it is prediction time. This is the bit of tape that will live forever, <laughs> so be careful. Um, okay, Stevie, we'll start with Edgbaston. Seeming wicket, raucous crowd. How much of the series will be determined by the first test result? So if you go back to 2015, Brad Haddon dropped Joe Root, I think pretty early on when England were in all, all sorts. He went on to make 134. You can almost see the turning point happened right there. What do you think? Do you think this first test is crucial? I think it will have a huge impact, yeah, because for all the reasons that we've been talking about, the two teams are very evenly matched. It's going to be a tight series. So whoever strikes first and, and gets 1-0 up, just the, the momentum from that and then just you know having the, 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 the win on the board is, is going to be huge. So, yeah, I think a lot rides on this. Ben, is the first test more important, do you think, to either side? Um, good question. I think... Uh... Thank you. Look, it's hard to say. I think I think it is just the first test is always crucial. You know, twenty fifteen classic example. Um, you know, England came out and blew Australia away in that first test when people expected it to go the other way. Australia fought back and won the second, but series still went England's way. Like you, you get the first test, it really is a huge a huge marker. And um, you know, I, I, I yeah, I don't know whether it would help one team more than the other, but I just think it's huge. I mean, look, to be honest, if England win the first test. I'd say that's more of a crushing blow to Australia than the other way around in the sense that confidence-wise, Australia having lost so many series in England, the momentum that England can then build up again from their World Cup win, I think England winning the first test will be more decisive than Australia winning the first test. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure of that, that 
you know, it, it, it's probably much of a muchness, you know, whoever gets the advantage gets the advantage. But if you look back to the, you know, the last time the touring team won the Ashes was when, um, uh, was it 2011, when England were over here, they escaped with a draw from uh, the Gabba and it wasn't uh, massively convincing, but the psychological victory of a sort from that, all the England players talk about how they kind of got on the bus or the plane after that and thought, right, we're, we're in this now. That's, you know... you everyone loses at the Gabba in the first test, but that we've avoided that and it really gave them a push. So perhaps that's a, a similar sort of impact that could happen were Australia uh, to get the win, just to know, right, yeah, we're, we're here and we're in this and, and it gives them that boost. But, we mean business. Yeah. All right, Good so point. five tests, 20 innings total for the two teams. How many of those do you think will be under 100 of team total, Ben, out of 20? Let's pick a number. Four. Well, sorry. Um, I guess that you might see a few more in the second innings. But, yeah, no, four. I think 100's are pretty low, <laughs> setting the bar low. <laughs> what about you, Steve? Well, there'll definitely, definitely be one or two. I don't, I don't think it'll be that many. Yeah, maybe maybe three. Yeah, I agree. I think there'll be about three or four. So, yeah, I think there's going to be some collapses on both sides. Mm. So um, there'll be some short, quick test matches. All right, now we've got over or unders, quick answers. Um, over or under, Steve, David Warner, 400 runs. Over. Ben? Over. Under for me. Warner's never scored 100 in England. I think he'll have a, a decent series, but uh, I think he'll get nicked off a few times early just on facing that new Dukes ball. Smith, over or under 500 runs, Ben? Well, if, if he does score 500, Australia wins the series, <laughs> but I'll say under, but I think he'll make more than 400. Yeah, I was, I was, I'm in an RM with this one, whether I could say actually bang on, maybe 500 is what he'll get, but if I have to go one way, I'd go under. Okay, I'm going over. I think he could smash it. And what did Taylor score in 89? 800 and something. Be ready, England. Smith is on a mission. But he he, he didn't have the best World Cup, I mean, by his own lofty standards, etc. and so on. But he, he cut a slightly frustrated figure there. And, and while he was sort of gritty and determined and, and contributed, he wasn't back to his free-flowing best. And I think the pressure of the situation could still get to him. I mean, it could go the other way, and this is his rebirth. But I think the, there's still question marks over him. It's an interesting one. Like we were saying, you know, Joe Root should bat at three. And Ian Chappell's very strong on the fact that it's not just Root. Smith should bat at three too. And I guess because we're more familiar with Australian players, like perhaps we're more comfortable with Smith being at four. But you look at Kawaja's record overseas, you know, um, I mean, should Steve Smith be batting at three too? I mean, Australia haven't won in England since 2001. Yeah, I mean, is Australia's batting lineup good enough that Steve Smith can be... I mean, then you could put Kawaja up to open and with mm. Warner because Kawaja's done better at Harris as an opener, that's for sure. Mm. But, uh, next question, James Pattinson, over or under 20 wickets, Steve? Well over. Well I mean, over? Yeah, I think he's going to be uh, the man of the series. I think he's going to be destructive. I know there's concerns like about it. him having this is a big call you know, for Steve. five test matches in the space of six or seven weeks, but... He looks in, in rude health. I mean, this expectation that he'll fall over at some point, maybe he'll get rested for one of the tests, but I think it, this series is tailor-made Could for he him. get 40 wickets, Terry Alderman style? Perhaps not that far, but I, I think he's going to be the, the top, top wicket-taker in the series. He's certainly not the smiling assassin, James Pattinson. Benny, what do you think, over um, or under 20 wickets? Well, look, I know that this is sitting on the fence a bit, but I think if he plays enough tests, he, he, can, he, he will do that. But um, it's a huge question mark whether he can play more than two test matches based on his on his history. I'm going to go under, but I'm not trying to be 
no, no, death riding the bike. I'm going under two. I think yeah. Pattinson will play two or three tests and he'll take, you know, 18 wickets in two or three tests and they'll be decisive wickets. Will Nathan Lyon take more wickets in the series than Pat Cummins, Ben? <laughs> no. No. I think Pat Cummins is Australia's best bowler and I think he'll probably play the most test matches out of yeah. everyone in that attack. And our next test captain. Steve? Uh, I agree. No, I, I think Cummins will be will, will be much more destructive than Lyon. Okay, I'm going to go Nathan Lyon. I think Lyon uh, was so decisive in the Ashes series at home. I think he'll come on and the English batsmen will think, thank God we've just survived that onslaught from Cummins and Pattinson and then Lyon will just um, nick him off. Or I suppose in his favour is that they're having uh, uh, what they refer to as a heat wave in the UK at the moment and the because of the World Cup, this is going to be sort of played late into the summer, mm. almost into the autumn. So the, the pitchers, particularly three, four and five, um, probably will suit Lyon. So maybe he is a shout to, to play a big part then. OK, um, what about Rory Burns? Will he make over or under 100 runs? Steve? In an innings, you mean? <laughs> no, in the series. <laughs> um, I have to say yes. Um, over? Over, purely because... For him to make less than that, he would have to be getting, you know, very low scores for the first couple of tests and then be dropped. But which is the first part of that is entirely plausible. But the second part is, as we've discussed earlier, who comes in to replace him. So if he does have a couple of absolute abject failures in the first two tests, which I think he's pretty much guaranteed to play, then maybe they'll reshuffle it and that will mean he doesn't make it. But if he if he holds his place for the whole series, then he'll uh, he'll get more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say under because I think if he does fail, they'll just have to do something. You can't carry an opener who can't who can't score runs. Yeah, I agree. Under, he won't make a hundred runs. Okay, now uh, the last two predictions. I'll, I'll get you to go first, Ben. The Test series score prediction and Australia's man of the series. I'm going to say England three two, and man of the series Jofra Archer. He's not Australian, but I'll take it. Oh, sorry, yeah. No, Sorry, no, leave it, leave it in. I like I'll it. Come, I'll come up with an Australian one. No, um, no, that's a better one. That's more <laughs> exciting. Uh, what about you, Steve? Well, that, that left field suggestion helped me because I thought Ben was going to say exactly what I've got written down here. I, I think 3-2 to England as well. Uh, Australia's man of the season, uh, of the series uh, is Pattinson, I think. I think this is going to be his... Uh... Okay, good one. I've got Australia winning the series 4-1. I would love a Tim Payne century. It, Steve's giving me some... <laughs> Fingers there. Um, Tim Payne Tun is my dream. Uh, I'd love to see that this series, but I'm going man of the series for Australia, Steve Smith. I just think Australia is better armed in all categories when it against England. The only way I can see England winning is if, like, someone just has a monster series, like Joe Root scored 800 runs, carries the summer. Um, I just can't see. Australia not beating them. I don't disagree that Australia's got a better side at all, but the conditions in England are so key, and it's brought Australia undone on so many occasions that, you know, that that's why I just can't see, even if Australia... You know, Australia are very capable of winning the series, but I can't see them running away with it because of the challenge of of those conditions. Some very good Australian teams have gone to England in the last 20 years and, and lost um, against, you know, teams that... 
know, if they play if they played this series in India, I'd probably be back in Australia to win it. But if they play in Australia, Australia all day long, and in England, I think England do, do just have that kind of that edge because they're comfortable with those conditions and, and can exploit them. But it's, I, I think it's going to be incredibly close, and hopefully it swings one way and the other, and we get you know two two going into the mm. into the fifth test. That would be the that would be the ideal. I would like three or four nil going into the <laughs> fifth test. Um, yeah, I don't want a close series at all. Close test matches, but not a close series. All right, that's our Ashes preview. We're going to take a very quick break, and then we'll be back to wrap the show up. Just want to remind you that there's going to be extensive Ashes coverage on all the News Corp digital mastheads, so Daily Telegraph, Herald Sun, Courier Mail, Adelaide Advertiser, Perth Now, you name it, there's going to be the Hobart Mercury. I shouldn't forget. And our friends at the Australian as well. And the Australian, of course. So um, extensive coverage of uh, all the ashes you know when you get up in the morning and you want to catch up with what's happened the night before log on it'll all be there i would also um go on and find a story that uh, the news corp cricket reporter russell gould has written on james pattinson pattinson's back reconstruction really interesting story just about the the decision he had to make for his career a great story by russell gould go and find that and uh, coming up after the break, we're going to quickly wrap up Australia's Women's Ashes win. How, does, how much does this mean to the team to win it outright and with two games still to go? Yeah, it's massive. That's what we came here to do was to win the Ashes outright. So, uh, you know, to do it, I guess, so early on in the series is a nice bonus. But I think we've been playing some good cricket throughout. I think it has been closer than what the scoreboard suggests. But I just think we've been able to win the, the big key moments in games and, and get some momentum. So, you know, we're keen to keep going. We don't want to give them any uh, any sniff, I guess. And, uh, you know, we still feel like we can improve on, on some, some areas as well. So that's really exciting. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm your host, Manners. I'm here with Ben Horn and Steve Wilson. And that was Selena Steele, News Corp's reporter, asking Meg Lanning about uh, the steamrolling of the Poms in the women's ashes. I had Selena on in the last show and great feedback on her. She loves a cricket, full of energy, called me Mr. Cricket, so immediately endeared herself to me. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't met Selena. Is she, uh, should I meet her when she gets back and get her on the show, Steve? Absolutely, yeah. She's you, you, you described her to a T there. I only recently met her myself, but yeah, uh, an infectious enthusiasm and a love for cricket and all cricket, but uh, particularly women's cricket at the moment, uh, with it going through such a such a boom time in Australia. So yeah. So uh, Australia have won the Ashes series in England. What, 12 points to two at the moment with one T20 to play. The big highlight was in the first T20. Meg Lanning scored the highest ever international T20 score by a woman. She smashed 133 off only 63 balls. And that was actually England's total in reply, 133. So Meg Lanning was obviously getting sick of Elise Perry stealing all the headlines. And she has absolutely torched the palms. Doesn't look like England are going to get a, a win in this series. Just one game to play. I think two things come out of this series. The first one is, if you go back to the 2017 50 over Women's World Cup, England and Australia were pretty even there. But then the, the professionalism in the Australian game has seen this sort of divergence. And Australia's cricket's really improving. But I don't think England have been able to keep up with them. Oh, absolutely, and I mean, there's a, there's a lot of sort of hand wringing, and the post mortems already started over in the UK about you know how 
how do you bridge that that gap and it is down to investment it's down to the professionalism or the prof- Professionalizing of, of the game in Australia, and I think you'll see uh, the UK take or try and take um, some leaves out of the book there because it's obviously working for Australia. They're producing, I mean, not just a first eleven, but they've got they've got you know eighty, a hundred professional women who are all you know at the top of their game and youngsters coming through as well. So it's unless the English and other countries, but particularly the English because they have the resources to sort of try and compete, unless they they do something to try and uh, make up that gap, then it's only going to get bigger. It's been a stunning change. And the last thing I think to come out of it was we've seen two Ashes series in a row where the women's Ashes tests haven't really, I would say, been great spectacles. And I'll start with this question for you, Ben. My theory around the women's Ashes test is not that I don't want them to play it, but I think does it make sense to have a form of the game played at the highest level that is never played at domestic level? So none of these women's cricketers in Australia play multi-day red ball cricket. So are we maybe expecting too much of them? Should we not play it at the highest level? It's a tough question because I'm not sure exactly what the players want. I mean, I've always got the feeling that they would love to play more test cricket against different countries, but... Is Can you that, imagine the headline if any player said, I don't really want to play test cricket, so... Well, I, I mean, did I, I don't know, I, I, could, I may have missed it, but I thought that um, there was a bit of a comment around the fact that, it, that it's difficult to expect that they, that they should play more. I... Did one of the Australian players say something yeah, like they, that? Yeah, it's hard to play more because of the, the world cricket. But I'm saying, why play any? I mean, if, if they're not playing domestic multi-day cricket, then how can you accept them to play international multi-day cricket? I, I get the line of thought, but I, I think the solution, th- there is a problem because they just play in these occasional tests um, and not having you know, the, the body of work before that to be ready and to play it as, as a spectacle. But the solution, I think, is not to ditch it from that. It's to find a way of letting them play more, whether that's against in series against other countries or you find it domestically or let them have arranged some sort of warm-up matches. They went in cold into that. The pitch wasn't very good. There was a slight mismatch between the teams. It was still a pretty reasonable, you know, test match. It just We quite often put a lot of expectation on it with the women's ashes that you know this must be absolutely sparkling and wonderful in every aspect and if it's not it's fallen short in some way Uh, I thought you know it petered out the test because of the match situation like it would in any game that the one team had an advantage and they just decided you know we're up in the series we'll kill this game that's just sport that's how you play the game the solution is not to pull it away from the ashes it's to find a way of letting them play more long-form cricket I don't have the solution to that, but the, the, there must be a way that, uh, particularly the big uh, organisations like the, the the English and the Australian and the mm. Indians, must have resources that they can put to allow that to happen. I think that's the big picture that you know eventually you would want Australia being able to play Test cricket against multiple nations. But how you get to that point, I mean, clearly you know, there's smarter people than I who are you know doing the strategy for growing women's cricket and it's been clear that limited overs cricket is the way to get you know talented women playing the game and for it to be on stage as we've seen so spectacularly in world cups and things like that so to me it comes down the future of test cricket for in the women's game really comes down to what the players themselves want i think if they if they want to play test cricket and they see that as something that that would you know, be the pinnacle of, of the sport, then I think 
you know, it's it's on the administrators to find ways to make that happen. But I'm not convinced that that is what the players want. I mean, do the players would they prefer to be playing limited overs cricket? I, I don't. I don't know. No, but a, a domestic, say, three day comp. A three would be great where each team had some experience playing multi-day cricket. So when you get to a test match at an international level, you're not completely swinging it because, you know, we see low strike rates and sort of different tactics as you would. I mean, if you're only batting in a test match mm. once every two years, you wouldn't give your wicket away. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strange dynamic. I just as, yeah. I mean, I think the bigger factor is that they don't play any tests as opposed to they don't play any first-class cricket. I mean, if you're only playing one test every two or three years, it's a very rare kind of event, yeah. Well, guys, we've run out of time. We have, uh, we're going to leave the Big Bash news for the next show because there's a lot to get through with that. Uh, just before we go, I want to shout out to Irish Cricket. I proudly declared my Irish heritage as they looked set to chase a famous victory at Lords. Then they collapsed to 38 all out in 15.4 overs. So my uh, O'Keefe family line will not be proudly declared in the future. Yeah, I, I felt a little bit sorry for Ireland, not not in terms of the match, but in terms of the scheduling that uh, what should have been uh, a, a huge celebration. I mean, it, it was marked, but it should have been this fantastic breakthrough moment in Irish cricket, the first test at Lords. It really would have benefited from having a lot more space around it so we could have really sort of enjoyed it in the build-up to whatever. And it ended up being... For the English, you know, an after party for the World Cup or a warm up for the Ashes. This sort of bit, this bit in between. I mean, that's before we get to the actual action on the pitch. So I, I think the Irish were a little bit hard done by in that regard. I understand it's because we're having to get so much cricket into an English summer, which does not last very long. Um, but in terms of the, the 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 match, I I I saw an Irish win come in before because of, you know, the, the England didn't put out their full team. You know, a few heads still not uh, tuned in. And there's a lot of Irish players in that team who play pretty regularly at Lords and know the, the, the and, you know, Murta particularly. Uh, and it was fantastic. And I thought they were well set for it. But then uh, uh, the, the the second innings... Uh, it fell a little short. <laughs> fell a little short. I mean, and it's, it's this strange thing that that in any other year or any other summer, that would be one of the most remarkable games of cricket that we've ever seen and we'd be talking about it. It's going to be like a, a footnote to this season <laughs> with, with what happened in the World Cup and then with Do the you Nationals think it, coming. one England or Australia will make less than 38 in this series? I don't know if they'll go that low, but... Uh, yeah. Well, Steve, thank you for going easy on me about England's World Cup win. I won't go easy on you when Australia wins uh, in England this summer. Ben, thanks so much for coming in. Have a great day. Thank you, man. It's great to be here. Enjoy the uh, first test and uh, we'll catch up soon. All right, listeners, that's it for Cricket Unfiltered. I've been your host, Andrew Mensel. Uh, keep up with all the Ashes action at News Corp Cricket on social media and we'll be back soon with another show. <laughs> 